The word see means to see with the eyes or the mind, to perceive or to become acquainted with by experience. And are you perceptive of the kingdom of God? Because what does he say? Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't even perceive it. You're not even aware of it. You're not acquainted with it. You have no idea. Every creature is unique in the song that it sings. All exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All powerful, untamable, awestruck with. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today's scripture says, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus' reply to Nicodemus shattered the Jewish assumption that their radical identity, their old birth, assured them a place in God's kingdom. Jesus made it clear that a man's first birth does not assure him of the kingdom. Only being born again gives this assurance. It was taught widely among the Jews at that time that since they descended from Abraham, they were automatically assured of heaven. We know that's not true because Jesus is a Savior for all, and all we need to do is believe in Him. Now here's Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress. You and I will rule and reign with Him, the Bible says. All these things Nicodemus was aware of, and Jesus is the Messiah. The Messiah was equivalent to God in the flesh. Every Jewish person knew that, and Jesus is that person. He's the Messiah. The Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, every other religious cult, they fail to see Jesus Christ as God come in human flesh, as the scriptures have said. And this is critical, folks. This is critical. And this is critical as a part of our faith. Who Jesus is. Who is he? Even within the global Christian church in America and certainly throughout the world, there are different Jesuses being proclaimed from pulpits. If the Jesus you worship allows you to remain in a homosexual relationship, there's a problem. If the Jesus you worship allows you to continue in heterosexual fornication, then you've got a problem. If the Jesus you worship continues to allow you to cheat on your income taxes, if he allows you to abort children, yeah, If the Jesus that you worship says it's okay to do that because it's convenient and I don't want to ruin your life, if that's the Jesus you serve, that is not the Jesus of the Bible. That is a Jesus of man's own making. And if you believe in a Jesus under any of those guises, you are in spiritual trouble, folks. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. And that is critical. 
It is essential. It is the most important thing you will ever make a decision upon is who is Jesus to you. And see, this is what Nicodemus is thinking. He's, he's coming to an understanding. Thank God he was being honest. God doesn't have a problem with honesty. Come to him with your questions. Come to him with your doubts. You don't have to be afraid of God. Come to him and, and speak to him. Get on your knees and humble your hearts and say, Lord, I don't understand. How can this be? That's what Nicodemus is doing. How can I be born again? Can I crawl into my mother's womb again and be born the second time? But Jesus said to him, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Those who have not read the Bible think that this phrase, born again, is something that the Christian church has made up. And it's not true. It comes right here. There are three places in the Bible that speak of this phrase, being born again. We read the one of them in verse 3. We're also going to see it in verse 7. And also in 1 Peter chapter 1. John in, in, in John chapter 3, verse 7, in this very chapter, we're going to get to it. He says, do not marvel that I said you must be born again. You must be born from above. You need a new nature. Your old nature is at enmity with God. You must, you must. Notice, it's not, it's not a question like, it's probably a good idea, Nicodemus. You know, times are hard. You know, it might be, a, it might, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It may not be a good idea. But, you know, I, I think, I feel like it is. It, it, it's like a, it might be a good idea. No. It's you must. It's very emphatic. It's very clear. I know that I needed to be born again because I was destined for hell. I was going down. And I knew it. I love my sin and I didn't want God to interrupt my playtime. But I'm th- I thank God that he did interrupt my life. You know, I wasn't even looking for him. Maybe you have the same experience. I wasn't even looking for him. He just provided another opportunity for me to realize how lost I was. And then once I finally realized it, and he gave me the remedy, which was being born again and confessing my sin and receiving Christ. Oh my, everything changed in an instant. Everything changed. And I am so glad. I can't tell you how thankful I am. I, you know, I think that when, when, when we are raptured, when the church is raptured, I bet we're all going to be spending years just groveling at his feet. Not that we need to. Because I'm sure, just like many of the other saints, when we are on our face and completely prostrate before him, he's going to lift up our hand and say, it's okay. I'm going to be so thankful. Going to weep at his feet in thanksgiving. See, that's the Jesus we serve. That's who Jesus is. He's Almighty God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another there, and there's the commandment, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again. There it is. Not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. And see, there's the difference. I have a corruptible heart and a corruptible body. But Jesus is going to give me the Spirit of God, and he has. And I hope he's done that for all of you as well. Because without which, we cannot call ourselves Christians. But I want to tell you that God loves you. He wants you to have that experience, that relationship with him. Not some kind of interaction where I've got to do this or else God's going to be mad at me. No. 
He's done everything. The greatest stumbling block of all of history is that he's done everything. All you need to do is come and believe what he has done and believe what he has said. And for the educated mind, boy, that can be a stumbling block. Well, I got to do something. Yeah, just believe. (laughs) I've known. Believe me, I've been in academia. Spent a long time in college, and it didn't help me one bit in my relationship with Jesus. In fact, I look back, and it was more of a detriment. Not that education is bad. It's not. Getting an education is a good thing. But things aren't like they were many, many years ago. Colleges are very different now. And you better pay attention. Moms and dads, just being honest with you, you better be careful. Born from above, the new birth. When the Spirit of God indwells you, then you are one of Christ. We looked at that. And it doesn't matter how often you've gone to church. It doesn't matter how much money you've spent, how much you've given, how much money. He says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This word is really interesting. And I would encourage you to look up these different words in a Strong's Concordance, to look up the the original language behind these English words, because the New Testament was written in Greek originally. And so we have to go back sometimes, and it really helps clarify some things when you look at the original word and the definition of that word in the original language. Because sometimes when words are translated, we miss the full meaning of it. And this is a good one, because the word see means to see with the eyes or the mind, to perceive or to become acquainted with by experience. And are you perceptive of the kingdom of God? Because what does he say? Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't even perceive it. You're not even aware of it. You're not acquainted with it. You have no idea. You know, when we use words like, have you ever heard a Christian say, well, that was the Lord? When you hear Christians say that, it's because they're perceiving the kingdom of God. They see something that's happened and they're like, well, that was the Lord. Everybody else calls it a coincidence. But the Bible says that is something else. Well, that was the Lord. You're being very perceptive. That's good news. That means that your heart is in tune with God's heart. Are you discerning to know what God is, when God is moving or what, when God is desiring to do something? Are you aware of how the action or event is either supported by the Lord or not? What we need in the church today is discernment. We do. We need discernment. What does Paul tell us in Corinthians? He says, to the working uh, concerning spiritual gifts, he says, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits. Yes, discerning of spirits. To know whether that thing, that action, those words, that motive is of God or is it not of God? And to have a discerning of spirits is something we need today. Otherwise, you'll be deceived. Otherwise, you'll be bamboozled into believing something else. 
In John's uh, letter, he says, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. (laughs) The Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that Jesus has come in the flesh. The spirit of Antichrist. Same thing with the Mormons. They don't believe what the Bible says about Jesus. So what do we do with that discernment? When you hear legislation that promotes abortion, and I'm going I'm to push a few buttons this morning. When you hear of legislation that promotes abortion, which God hates and silences or cancels pro-life supporters and agendas, you know that the kingdom of God is under attack and that the spirit of Antichrist is at work. Is it true? It is. When you hear of big tech like Apple and Google, Twitter and YouTube canceling and silencing conservative voices, you'd better understand that the kingdom of God is being attacked. When the government is going after our God-given constitutional rights and forcing churches not to meet and to refrain from worshiping, and this is happening in the West Coast, folks. It's already happening in Canada. It's happening on the West Coast And it's coming to a theater near us unless we pray and unless we make our voice known again in love. But when the government goes after and keeps us from worshiping, when they fine us exorbitant amounts for failure to comply to their own science, which seems to be changing every day. The CDC recently said everybody can take off their mask. Have you been vaccinated? You can take off your mask. You don't have to worry about social distancing anymore, inside or outside. Ah, but not in good state of New York. Well, keep them under bondage, even if the science says it. Oh, I thought you were a man of science. Well, follow the science. Oh, okay. Pray for our governor. I'm I'm being serious. I'm, I'm angry. I'm frustrated, like probably most of you. But I know that anger and you know, getting all bent about it, which honestly I have, uh, is not the way, right? That's why this main Supreme Court hearing is so important. Let's rise, church. Seriously. If there's ever a time in our history of our country, we need to stand up. We need to be praying. We need to get our faces on the floor and plead with God of heaven who alone can protect and continue to allow us to serve him in the way that we do in this wonderful country of ours. Where are you, men of courage? Do you remember that line? Where are you? Jesus did say the gates of hell won't prevail against the church, but how far are we going to just be silent and let this nonsense continue going on without really seeking fervently and praying to God for help? How far will this cancel culture go in destroying the United States of America? It is destroying it. It's destroying our schools, destroying our colleges and universities. We need to be born again. And we need to be about our Father's business. It's time for the church to begin earnest prayer again. Are we desperate? We ought to be, honestly. Just look around. God really responds to desperation. 
He's responded to it in my own life. When I have been desperate, God has always shown up. When I have been driven to tears, when I have been forced on the ground just in heartache, and I think most of us have this last year, crushed under many weights, seeing the things in our country eroding like we've never ever seen them erode and as quickly as they have folks it's time to wake up but are we desperate and see I know that many of you are because I am I'm desperate we live in desperate times what will it take for the church to rise again in prayer and to shake off her lethargy that includes me What's it going to take? But God responds to desperation. And he will not leave us. But we have to come to him. And we can't just allow the ballot box to be the, you know, the thing that we get results in. I believe the most important thing we got to do is pray, pray, pray. Every single day, many times. And I even pray when I'm in the car, but I don't close my eyes. And aren't you glad? If you ever see me going on 490 in my Jeep and I close my eyes, honk the horn for heaven's sake. Wake up, Kellogg. I keep my eyes open. You, can, you don't have to close your eyes. Sometimes you've got to do that to keep from being distracted. But I have my eyes wide open and sometimes I pray out loud and sometimes I pray quietly within my own heart. But do that, folks. Let's continue to pray. So in verse 4, it says, Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can this be? You know, you, you tell me, Jesus, that unless a man uh, is, uh, unless he is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he crawl into his mother's womb and be born again? The obvious answer is no, you cannot. You can't be born again physically, but you can spiritually And again, Nicodemus, a very religious man, intelligent. But Jesus was saying something spiritual, not concerning something that was natural. You know, when we look at this dialogue that Jesus has with Nicodemus, it's very similar to what we see in the very next chapter, which we'll get to probably the week after next And turn with me, if you would, just to John's gospel. It's probably on the same, you're probably open to it already. Let's look at verse 7. Something really interesting here happens. um, Because we've already read the passage with Nicodemus and Jesus. Now, we're going to look at this passage briefly of Jesus with a woman at the well. And it's very interesting because there's a lot of similarities here. In John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, it says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? See, at this time, the Samaritans were looked down upon by the Jews. They, were, they considered them half-breeds. It was a very bigoted way that they looked at them. And she's like, not only are you speaking to a, a Samaritan, but Jesus, you're speaking to a woman in public? That's just unheard of. So he's breaking all these norms of the culture. Jesus answered, 
She says, how do, how do you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would also ask him, and he would have given you living water. And then the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. So obviously Jesus is not speaking of something physical, is he? He's speaking of something spiritual, and he's drawing her, like like reeling in a fish. He's slowly reeling her in, and she's slowly getting the idea. And you know, that's so wonderful. That's just the way it is. When I first came to Christ, I had to, be, I had to swallow the hook, and then he slowly just kind of reeled me in. It took some time, and I, my understanding as I got closer to the boat, well, wow, oh, really? Oh, my. And all of a sudden, I'm in the boat, and I'm like, I totally get it now. Thank you for catching me, Lord. <laughs> I'll make you fishers of men, right? That's what he said to his disciples. So... She said, but the water that I, or Jesus said, but the water that I shall give him shall become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Not just a physical life, but everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. She still doesn't get it. She's still thinking in the physical. And that's okay. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you're with now is not your husband either. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) Yeah, and more than a prophet. But see, he's drawing her in. He's drawing her in. And notice the questions. She's not quite getting it. It takes some time. This comforts me because I'm kind of slow like that. It takes me an hour and a half to watch 60 Minutes. I'm not a fast reader either. You know, my wife, she can shred a book in a day, an hour. She can read an entire book from cover to cover, and I'm still on the forward. You know, I'm just, uh, I, I read differently, and, I, and, and it's not like I have reading comprehension. Never mind. It's, I just, I'm slower, okay? And so, is that, a, is that a problem with you guys? I mean. But Jesus said, woman, believe me. Oh, excuse me, i got to go back. She said, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, and we know what we worship. Does this sound familiar to what we just heard about in, in Nic- with Nicodemus? You worship what you do not know. We worship, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I, who speak to you, am he. Did Jesus ever say he was God? You better believe it. Here's one of them. She knew exactly what he was talking about. But notice, she had some 
misunderstanding. She didn't quite get it. She's still thinking in the natural, and Jesus is slowly bringing her in to understanding the bigger picture of who he is and what this is all about. It's interesting because as we look at the Samaritan woman and we look at Nicodemus and we look at these two passages, we see that he was seeking. She was indifferent initially. He was a respected ruler. She was an outcast. He was serious, Nicodemus was, but she was flippant. He was a Jew, but she was a despised Sumerian. He was presumably moral, but she was immoral. That's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.